In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a lot of talk about returning to normal. There are some pundits who say we will never return to normal, and then there are others who lay out the conditions under which we return to normal. I myself have been meditating on what the concept of normal even means. We've had a ruddy good disruption to life as normal. It gives us the sense that the experience we are currently going through is impermanent, fleeting, and unwanted. We exist in this in-between world where we reflect nostalgically on the past and attempt to glimpse into the future for hope that life might go on as it ever had. But perhaps normalcy is not the thing to be grasped. Instead, what if we are supposed to embrace the disruption? What does that mean to take hold of the events of 2020 and glean from them as much as we can? The coronavirus pandemic has taken its toll on life, relationships, businesses, the economy. But let's be honest, it wasn't like there weren't threats before the pandemic. As human beings, we're really bad at risk assessment. We were just as frail and entered into risk every time we entered the car. There was always a three in four chance a business would fail. Once a global pandemic stares us all in the face, we feel like we've entered a mode of life that is more risky, but there will never be a time when we don't encounter risk. There will never be a time when we won't have to contend with danger. So what we mean by normalcy is that risk becomes more masked uh, behind the variability of life, that our sense of danger feels less imminent. So we need to be clear, once the pandemic, uh, once the pandemic is over, normal life will still be fraught with risk, danger, loss, and suffering. That's the way life always ever was. If we embrace the disruption though, perhaps we can gain a clear understanding of what it means to cling to the cross for our salvation. So at one level, when we embrace the disruption of a global pandemic, what we are truly embracing is the reality of life. We are limited, frail creatures, totally dependent on any number of factors in order for life to just operate as normal. And so the coronavirus reveals to us something of our nature. We are often powerless to protect ourselves, even when we have the means to mitigate risk. You put a group of people together and ask them to say, stay six feet apart and you run into a plethora of problems. No one actually seems to know what six feet looks like. So if social distancing is going to save our lives, we are not particularly well equipped to meet this challenge. Other disruptions have occurred in 2020, the protests 
in response to the death of George Floyd have equally disrupted what we might call normal life. And once again, we ask ourselves, what is it we want when we pine for a return to normalcy? I don't really want to return to the quaint suburban life if that entails a return to injustice and brutality for others. That is why my intuition tells me to embrace the disruption rather than seek normalcy, whatever that might mean. As a white suburban kid, my life experiences have not equipped me to fully understand the life experiences of my minority neighbors. For me to embrace the current disruption has meant a conscious choice to listen and to listen very carefully. The protests show us something about the sufferings of people in our midst. If we listen carefully, meaning we care about the person we are listening to, and that we pay attention to what it is they are saying, we just might learn something useful and meaningful. That's not very easy to do. I've seen Facebook feeds where individuals don't want to listen. Phrases like systemic racism or white privilege, nuanced as, as those might be, are responded to defensively, rejected without consideration as to whether these might be phrases that reveal something about the plight others are experiencing. Just because I have not experienced these things doesn't mean that these phrases aren't ways of expressing a tragic mode of existence for many people. Perhaps you've experienced what I've experienced, being pulled over by a police officer for speeding or running a light. Once my taillight was out, I was pulled over. No ticket, just friendly advice to get that fixed. If you're like me, though, when, when you see the red and blue lights, your adrenaline rushes. You do a quick check on all of your uh, sins. You prepare yourself for a ticket. But the transaction with the police officer is usually fairly mundane for, for those of us with that same white suburban kid upbringing. As I've listened to the protesters, though, I've learned that my experience of being pulled over is substantially different than the fear my black neighbors experience. It's hard to find a black voice that doesn't have a story of racial profiling. I don't have the capacity to adjudicate the differences in our experiences of law enforcement. But by listening carefully, I can understand the justifiable mistrust our brothers and sisters have with law enforcement. The strand that draws our passages together in today's lectionary is the concept of persecution. We can hear in our passages something analogous to the experiences we hear from our minority neighbors. Jeremiah uses phrases like mockery and shame as well as violence and destruction. Jeremiah's experience of these things causes him to question the Lord's goodness and truth. And yet, in the midst of Jeremiah's lament, a song of praise emerges. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the, need, the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. 
This comes on the heels of his theological reflection that the Lord tests the righteous and carries out vengeance upon evildoers. Our psalm also resonates with Jeremiah's sentiments. David speaks of becoming a stranger to his brothers. Perhaps the most stinging persecution comes at the hands of those who are kindred. There's a resonance between the outcry of Jeremiah and the psalmist and the calls for racial justice today. In our gospel reading, Jesus warns that persecution will be a part of the Christian life. We live in a fallen world. Enmity is the air we breathe. Enmity rips apart marriages, families, and societies. These more localized enmities stem from the foundational enmity between humanity and God. And it is at this point that the incarnation of Christ and his crucifixion reaches across the divide of enmity to reconcile fallen humanity to a holy God. Yet in receiving Christ, we exchange one enmity for another. We remain in a world that is hostile to God, so it should not surprise us to find hostility aimed at those who have fellowship with God in Christ. This picture of reality helps us understand the complexities of life and furthermore the complexities of life in Christ. The Christian life is not a removal of burden, but a shifting of burden. Let me be clear, yes, the, in Christ, the burden of the weight of our sins is removed from us, but it is shifted to Christ. It is equally the case that the burden of enmity uh, born by Christ is also born by us. Note that, that scripture calls on us to do such things as to take up our cross daily and to bear one another's burdens. We are in the business of shifting burdens. And it is in the, in the shifting of those burdens that we participate in the transformational nature of the gospel. Those burdens become something full of meaning and purpose. I want to highlight a couple of concepts that Andrew brought up last week. He so helpfully identified our need for compassion and presence. I wrote these two words down after his sermon, and I've been chewing on these words all week. These are the words that best describe Christ's work on our behalf. He had compassion on us and became present for us for our salvation. We are now called to follow in his footsteps to bring compassion and presence to others. It is hard for me to know exactly what compassion and presence look like for us in this moment. I desire to be compassionate, but I fear it's missing its mark. I desire to be present, but fear breaching our current lines of social distancing. Perhaps it is helpful then to delve deeper into what we mean by these ideas, to clarify what we mean when we speak of compassion and presence. To be compassionate is to be empathetic 
to accept into yourself as fully as possible the emotional burden of another person. Think about how difficult that is. I, I want to be compassionate, for instance, towards my wife. But there are moments when I lack understanding, or I get defensive, or I just don't have the energy to receive what she's sending. How much greater is the difficulty when there are significant cultural differences between myself and the person I'm listening to? Yet to be compassionate, I need to direct my energy toward taking on board as much as I can of the burden of the other person. Presence has a similar nuance. To be present with someone is not merely just to be there. There's an extension of your will, a self-conscious intention to be fully available to another person. To be fully present with someone is to commit yourself to pay attention to them and direct all of your energies toward them. Christ, of course, exemplifies this fully. His compassion for us is such that he fully takes upon himself the burdens of our human existence. He knows our suffering. He knows our frame. He is fully present. Every part of his being is fully available to us. All of his energies have been directed to lifting us out of our fallenness into his glorious light. I propose for us then a hermeneutic of compassion and presence. I teach hermeneutics at Trinity and we discuss at length the difference between a hermeneutic of suspicion and a hermeneutic of generosity. In a critical hermeneutic of suspicion, we enter we, we encounter what we don't understand, and when we encounter that, we accuse it of being wrong. We consider it guilty until proven innocent. But with a hermeneutic of generosity, uh, we read things, we listen to things differently, we listen with compassion and presence. I've been reading several articles written by Esau Macaulay, he can communicate so clearly and deal with the layers of nuance the topic of race, racial justice entails. And when I read his articles with a hermeneutic of generosity, whenever I encounter something I don't understand, my response, my response is to ask, what do I need to change about myself to more fully understand what it is he's saying? Reading and listening in this way with a hermeneutic of compassion and presence enables us to fully carry out the implications of the gospel. Christ's work is transformational. And the place transformation begins is in our own hearts. I want to see transformation occur within society, just like so many of us do but I can only begin by truly confronting myself in my inward being. This means shifting the light of Christ, shining the light of Christ on myself by fully embracing our current disruptions 
as the means currently made available to challenge ourselves in ways that weren't available during normal life. A return to normalcy is almost inevitable. We human beings have a way of finding equilibrium no matter what our circumstances are. We adapt to whatever life throws at us. So in this time, when normalcy has been disrupted, I call us to grasp hold of the disruption as something that God has provided for our good. Amen.